You're listening to A Step Forward, episode 10. Welcome to A Step Forward, a podcast for orientation and mobility specialists. I'm your host, Cassie Maloney. Orientation and mobility specialists are changing the way that people with visual impairments view themselves, view their world, and are able to travel in the most independent way possible. Join me every week for simple how-to strategies and inspiring conversations that will help you get from where you are to where you want to be. If you're ready, we're about to rock and roll. Let's take a step forward. Welcome to the podcast, Anna. I'm so glad that you're here. It's so nice to have you. And you guys, Anna and I are literally in the same room right now, which is such a treat. Yay. I love hanging out with you. I love being around you too. And just to set the stage, we are sitting in not comfy chairs, my dining room chairs. You might hear them squeak a little bit, but we both do have either like water or some tea with us. So grab some tea yourself or grab whatever beverage you like and come hang out because this is just going to be a really fun, easy, casual conversation. And I'm going to get to introduce you to one of the best experts on children with multiple impairments. You would not believe what she's been able to do and the experiences that she's had, especially in such a relatively short amount of time. I think a lot of times when we talk about experts, we think of people who are maybe much older, but you've been in the field, what, this is your sixth year? Yes, my sixth year. Yeah, and you've gotten to do a lot of really great things, especially with kids with multiple impairments, which has been really fun on my end to watch. Thank you. It's been a really fun journey, especially back to my undergrad when I was taking education classes and we had that one class on special education. And at the time I was in my early 20s thinking, oh, well, I'm glad I don't have to really work with those kids. And my knowledge of kids with multiple or any disabilities really was just so limited and I was so just scared of them. Yeah. Because a lot of our classes when we went through school didn't really have that many actual classes of teaching us how to work with students with multiple impairments, you know? Yeah, I didn't get my first hands-on experience working with kids with multiple or any disabilities until I started being a substitute teacher right before I started my grad school program at NIU for the VI program. And I figured, all right, well, I'm going into special ed, so I guess I better dip my toes in and start subbing in special ed classrooms. Because before, I was just always afraid to pick up those assignments because I had no idea what I would be getting myself into. I started putting myself in those classrooms. I learned that, hey, these kids aren't that scary. And some of them are like super sweet and actually really fun to be around. Yeah. So what actually made you want to go into the field of visual impairments? I was looking for a specialty in the education field, and I was interviewing all kinds of, I guess, specialist professionals. So I started interviewing LSSPs and school psychologists, counselors, just to kind of get an idea of what their jobs consisted of. And I remember this one interview with a school psychologist where she was telling me of all the paperwork and testing she does. And she finally said, you know, to be honest, like, I don't really get to work that much with kids one-on-one. And if you really do want to have some quality one-on-one in time with children, I know there is a need in the orientation and mobility field and how the school district where she was at 
they were always contracting O&M specialists because they didn't have their own. So she knew there was a need for them. And at that time, I've never heard of that field. And I was not aware of any kind of teacher specialists working with any visually impaired kids at all. So I didn't know that that was even a thing. But after she told me about it, I did some research and then I contacted the school of the VI program at NIU and the director, Galen Kapperman, put me in touch with some VI and O&M specialists in Seattle where I was living at the time. So I ended up shadowing one of them for a day and I really loved it. And even watching her working with some kids who were multiply disabled, I was like, you know, I can actually see myself doing this. So after that, I was kind of all in and I just took my GREs and applied for the program and moved out to uh, DeKalb, Illinois to embark on this awesome journey. (laughs) So fun. When you were deciding to become an O&M, were you living in Chicago at the time? I was living in Seattle. Okay, so you were living in Seattle, and then you decided to move to where in in Illinois, you said? Where is that? DeKalb, Illinois. That's where Northern Illinois University was. That has an awesome VI program. Of course, I'm a little biased because I was a part of it. (laughs) It's about an hour west of Chicago. So to me, I was thinking, all right, I'm moving to Chicago. (laughs) But then, of course, I realized. I wouldn't really be in Chicago, but it's okay. I still spent most of my weekends and summers there. So to me, it was kind of like living in Chicago. So it was a great experience. And I love the program and the professors and our little cohort. Yeah, I do believe I got a pretty good quality VI education there and O&M, dual certified. So I studied both. That's awesome. So you did your dual certification as your master's program. Yes. So TVI and O&M. I was going to do just O&M, but then Mr. Kapperman convinced me that I would be more marketable and would just be a better overall teacher if I did the TVI track as well. So I did both. And I'm really glad that I did because I do believe that it does make me a more well-rounded educator to be able to do both. Yeah, I can totally see that. I have my dual also, and I at least can like know when I'm being the O&M police. Yes. And I can say like, oh, okay, there are so many other skills that need to be going on in this moment. When I see somebody, they're not using their cane or not traveling the correct way or whatever it is that you see out in the world, it gives you a little bit more perspective to not just jump down that teacher's throat because you know that there's so much else that they have to be teaching at that moment as well. Definitely. And I love the fact that I can read Braille and I'm aware of so much technology that's out there in the BI world. So it definitely helps to be dual certified. Yeah. Because a lot of O&M specialists, if they're not dual certified, they can't read Braille, right? Yes. I think only some of the programs teach Braille for O&M programs. Yeah. Yeah. And then Because you can read Braille also, I know that that's how you were able to get the job that you have now because you started as a TVI O&M and then you've moved into full-time O&M, right? Yes. So when I started working at my current district, I started as a dual and I've only had a handful of O&M students. And then once our O&M vacated her position, I quickly swooped in and asked to be the full-time O&M. Awesome. So because you've been working in that district, how many O&Ms are there now? I am the only one. Yeah. And right now I'm still technically dual because I do have some TVI kids on my caseload. So I do all the O&M for the district and I'm in charge of some kids as their TVI as well. 
Oh, how cool. And so as the O&M specialist, you're the one O&M specialist for the whole district. We were talking a little bit beforehand how you found it so interesting that when you were in school, even to go through your O&M and TBI classes, you thought you would be teaching more of, you know, normal vanilla blind students. And that turned out not to be the case. Will you share a little bit about your experience with that? Yes. So I definitely have a lot of kids with multiple disabilities on my caseload as both TBI and an O&M. And at first, when I started my first year, I felt like I did not know exactly what I was doing. I know what I should be doing. Luckily, I did have a lot of support with my mentors from TVI, where I did my own internship. And, you know, Chris Tab was my mentor and, well, still is. I consider him a mentor. He's amazing. And it was through watching him work with kids with multiple disabilities during my internship where I got an idea of, you know, what it looks like to support kids as they're traveling. So drawing and building on that experience was definitely a journey Now in my sixth year, I definitely see myself as an advocate for kids with multiple disabilities because I see that, you know, how easily they can be overlooked for services in general because they're not seen as independent or they're not seen as, you know, capable of doing a lot of things that, you know, able-bodied kids who are visually impaired can do. But I have definitely, um, you know, trained myself to see the potential in everyone and to look at what those kids can do and then start building on those abilities. Oh my gosh. I love exactly how you said all of that. So when you're looking back and now that you've been in the field for like six years, you start to see new O&M specialists coming up or even people who've been in the field for a while. What is one mistake that you think that you see quite often O&M specialists making either in their psychology about who deserves O&M services or in their practices? Is there something that you're seeing across the board or even with certain people that just bringing light to that would help our friends in our community who are listening? Sure. One thing I see is that students who are not able to move themselves, so students who are, you know, they may be in a wheelchair, they may not be able to walk, or they may not be able to propel themselves. Those students are seen as, okay, well, they need someone to push them around. They need someone to take them places. They're not able to travel themselves. They're not necessarily even able to use a cane because, you know, maybe they have difficulty with their muscle control. They're not going to be able to sweep a cane or even hold a cane. So they're not able to necessarily look out for their own safety. So those students are seen as just not able to be independent in any way when that is not necessarily true. They can still be independent in making choices about when they want to go, when they want to stop moving, what direction they want to be moved. They may even be able to take part in planning where they want to go or where they want to be taken. So I think independence in mobility is so much more than just physical, independent, like self-propelled movement. And I think all that really needs to be considered when you are evaluating children for O&M services. Speaking of evaluations, are there any specific evaluations that you love the most, especially with kids who have multiple impairments? I think the visit O&M evaluation is actually pretty on point. I like how the Michigan does have an evaluation for kids who are multiply disabled and kids who are not, although I've noticed that the Michigan evaluation actually tends to 
take minutes away from kids who are multiply disabled. And I don't really agree with that. So I think the visit does not do that. So the visit takes in other things in consideration. So that is kind of my go-to evaluation for kids with multiple disabilities. And for those of you guys who are listening who may not know, the VISIT, V-I-S-S-I-T, it's an acronym. I can't remember what it stands for exactly. It's a free tool put out by tsbvi.edu, so you can go Google it or we'll have it in the show notes. And that will tell you your direct service time and your consult service time that the student would qualify for, right? Yes, that is correct. It is very, very thorough and it takes in a lot in consideration. It takes in training family members and school staff. So it's just a super thorough evaluation. Yeah, I really liked it. I've only used it, I think, once this year. I wasn't eligible because I worked at a residential school. Mm -hmm. And then last year when I was teaching outside of a residential school, it was just like so overwhelming to learn how to be itinerant and like manage a caseload with different districts and all that. But this year I used it And to be honest with you, I thought I was so scared of it at first because you pull it up and it's like 17 pages and you're like, oh my God, I set aside 15 minutes for this, not like 17 pages worth. But if you just fill it out, it's really easy. It is. It's long, but it's fairly simple. (laughs) Yeah. So one thing that you mentioned, Anna, was how your students of all abilities can do different things as far as their independence goes. And one thing you said that I loved was that you've trained yourself to see the possibility in their students. So I know you are doing a presentation at the O&M Symposium this year, and oh my gosh, I'm so excited to hear you speak because I know you've had so many experiences working with kids with multiple impairments, and your presentation was actually one of the top voted presentations in our session selection. So the entire community every year votes on the presentations that they want to see, and Anna's was, I think, number two or three out of all of our presentation applications. I am super excited about that and a little scared, but hey, no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. Only an international conference. No big deal. (laughs) My first presentation will be at an international conference. Yeah. But you'll be able to do it from home or here. So it's fine. Oh, yeah. It'll be fine. I'm not worried. And we have such great people. So tell us a little bit more about your presentation and what you are preparing for us because we don't even necessarily know. So my presentation will focus on empowering kids who have multiple disabilities and who may not be independent in propelling and moving themselves to still make choices about where they're going, when they're going, and you know in what direction they may be going. So just teaching them that they still have a voice, that their voice matters, that they matter, that they could still have a choice in where their body gets to be moved. Because sometimes if you're just, you know, put in a wheelchair and you get moved all over, you don't really feel like you have a say about where you're going and when you're going, but just to give those kids power over their own bodies in even a small way, I think would be so meaningful to them. So, you know, every O&M professional to know that those kids, they still need to be empowered and be able to advocate for themselves and know that they have a choice in their movement, in their mobility. So that is what my presentation will focus on. So 
looking at those kids' abilities and designing their O&M program to give them a choice and to give them power. That's amazing. What I hear from that is that for a person who's pretty brand new to the field or who is brand new to having students with multiple impairments, you know, there are a lot of O&Ms who have just shied away from having students with multiple impairments just because we weren't taught, you know, and it's really scary to take on a student with multiple impairments if there are other O&Ms in the district or in your co-op or wherever you are that can take them on. Sometimes people just like shy away from it and it's kind of under the table. They don't yeah. really talk about it. So I think it'll be really good to empower those people, to empower people who are new to the field, giving them some strategies mm-hmm. that they can use with those students. So that way we take off the stigma of working with kids with multiple impairments is so hard. Because I mean, it's challenging. It's difficult. You kind of have to know what you're doing, but you also need to have the confidence to get the experience as well. Yeah, and it just takes a little bit of creativity and thinking outside the box. And honestly, those kids are not scary. My kids with multiple disabilities are some of the sweetest and some of my favorite students. And working with them is honestly my favorite part of the week. Yeah. And I know we'll have a lot of people coming who are in that same boat with you. And maybe they're just looking for new ideas, you know, because we could always share and get new ideas. Not any one person knows all the things for all the types of kids. Definitely. Yeah. And being able to collaborate on that, especially since it'll be a live presentation where people can ask you questions and you can answer them in real time. I think that part of it is really such a special aspect because all their kids are going to be so individual, you know? Yes, definitely. And I do want it to be a collaborative brainstorming discussion. So I want the participants to, you know, think of their own students with multiple disabilities and to be able to think of them and write down, okay, well, what can that child do? What are some reasonable, achievable goals? Yeah. And just to maybe create a, or recreate their own program right there during the presentation. Oh my gosh. That would be so wonderful. If somebody could just walk away just with that, or even just some ideas for their students so that they can do them in the next lesson. And if we have some people who also see the value in teaching kids with multiple impairments, but maybe they need some help in order to let their district know or convince the TVI or other team members, I think coming to that session will also give them a lot of ammunition to help them be able to relay the information to other people too, you know? Oh, it is definitely a team effort. I would say most of my students with multiple disabilities are in life skills, self-contained classrooms, and they work with teachers and mostly getting the TAs on your side and training them to interact with the students and to transport or move the student throughout the day to various locations and to follow the same cues and use the same language and the same, you know, using the same tactile symbols or just the same strategies that you use so that there is consistency and continuity throughout the day. That's what's really going to guarantee success. Yeah. So I want to be mindful of everybody's time here. I just have a couple more questions for you and then we'll say goodbye. One of my last questions for you is I ask this to all of our guests, thinking about all the community of O&M specialists around the world. What is one thing that anybody could do today to just take a step forward towards the independence of their students with multiple impairments? I would say make a list of 
all the positive abilities that your student has. So everything that they can do, everything that they're good at, even like everything that you like about them. It can even be like their personality traits, like they're always happy to see me and just always see the best in your students, in all of your students and focus on that. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Cheers to that. Are there any last, we are really good cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it's just water and tea. Are there any last things that you want to tell our community before we take off? I want to tell everyone that you guys are amazing. This is an amazing field. I feel so grateful every day to be a part of it because we really are making a difference. And sometimes it's a difference that we can see right away. And sometimes it's not. But I know that our students love us and value us and appreciate us, even if they can't express it. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I can't wait to see you and your presentation at the symposium. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And you guys, if you are interested in joining the International Orientation and Mobility Online Symposium, registration is open from now when this podcast is released until January 22nd. So I hope you check it out. But if you did miss it and you're listening to this after January, there will be another one next year. So don't worry. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye.